Original Roots with host Mark Gerke is a podcast from Common Roots Rising. Through engaging conversations with creative leaders, we're exploring our community roots and connections as we imagine transformative new stories and culture into being. Hello and welcome to Imaginal Roots. Today, our guest on Imaginal Roots is Shane Zack from Freshwater Jade. Shane is a jade carver and lapidary artist based in Stevens Point. So Shane, can you tell me, what is a jade carver and lapidary artist? Essentially what I do is, um, I guess my, my business is taking the rough stones um, and my specific focus is jade, both jadeite and nephrite. Um, I start with, yeah, so with the rough stone, I cut, shape, polish, um, basically do everything in-house. Um, so that's kind of where my description of lapidary, which is, you know, a stone worker um, and an artist being, you know, someone who is looking at the stone creatively and ideally creating, you know, new shapes, new forms in um, a medium that, you know, jade is jade is old. It has a really long history. Um so, you know, I'm I'm working to kind of hopefully create something new and unique and, and a little bit different in, in such an old material. So why jade? Yeah, so <laughs> it's it's a bit of a funny story, actually. Um and it, it sort of ties in to many years ago when I actually started carving. Um my I was in high school and my mom looked at me and she basically was like, man, you need to, you need to do something. You need to get a hobby. You need to find, find something to do. And she, she put it really nicely, you know, but it was, um, one of those times where I, where I actually, as a high schooler listened to her. Um, and I went out to, I went out to Petco and I bought, um, like one of those, um, like little slices of like cow bone that they'll sell to dogs to chew on and stuff. Um, and I had in in my collection of just like beads and various things I would use to string together various necklaces. I had this little hook um, that was based off of a, a Maori or kind of Pacific Island style carving. And I, I fell in love with it. I was just like, this design is really beautiful. Um, I'd love to learn how to do this. And so I, I researched Maori art. I found that they do a lot of bone carving, thus going to Petco and buying this bone. And I... I basically just started um, working in my dad's wood shop, um, carving bone, and it was it was an easy medium to start on. Um, it's fairly fairly soft, and you can use uh, you know if you have basic woodworking tools, you can use those on bone. Um, so I was you know I was really digging into Pacific Island, um, very specifically Maori designs, which I just aesthetically I'm really drawn to, and. So they they worked bone a lot, but their their primary and their their like real treasure that they have in New Zealand is jade, and so essentially through this process of working with bone and kind of digging into this form of art that you know I'd always been a two D artist, um, and that's what I'd really explored up until that point, digging into three D art and then looking at these carvings that the Maori people have been doing. Um, I was really drawn to that. And so Jade actually kind of came after the bone carving. Um, and it's, it, it's, it's a big world. I mean, digging, digging into Jade, especially within the, the gemstone community is a, I mean, it's, it's huge. There's so much information and it's, it's kind of hard to initially figure out what you're really looking at. Um, but I really, I really just fell in love with the stone, and it's it's one of those things where I don't necessarily know how to like fully articulate um, like why I'm so attracted to it. Um, I can definitely pinpoint a few a few reasons. Um, you know, one one was just that story I just told you about kind of getting into carving and and having my first look at the stone. Um, but one, I do think it, it is just really beautiful. Um, the way the light hits the different um, types of jade, you know, the, the way the green kind of lights up in the sunlight is something that to me just like 
from a, ver- a very surface level um is like oh man i i just love this material um but i th- i think on a like a deeper aspect um now that i have been working it for a while um i've really fell in love with how diverse and unique a material it is um jade every, every single piece of it is different um the way it's structured and the way it's colored and the the various inclusions and um, kind of intricacies of the stone change every single time I pick up a different slab and decide to start working with it. Um, so that's something that has really kept me kind of kept me interested in it. And I'm, you know, every time I come back to it, I'm finding something different or um, yeah, but just ba- basically just seeing, seeing the material in a new light. Um, so, yeah, I, I would say, I mean, kind of, kind of a long-winded answer there. Um, but, yeah, it's, it's, definitely, it's definitely attracted me for, for many reasons. And, and some of them I just I can't necessarily explain very well other than the fact that I just have fallen in love with it. I appreciate the time to, you know, take in the backstory so it's it was it, it, all interesting for me um so where does jade come from or how is it made in the earth can you share that yeah absolutely um so so jade is found all over the world um and i should probably preface that question um with just a small small bit of information ab- about the word jade um because this this is one of the things that when I was getting interested in in Jade, I was really confused by, um, and I think a lot of people are. Um, but so the the Jade, when described within the gemstone community, actually refers to two separate types of material. Um, you have nephrite Jade and you have Jadeite Jade, and nephrite and Jadeite are compositionally different. Um, and I think the best way to describe the two materials is to think of nephrite as sort of like a cloth or a fabric. Um, and often, you know, this will be a podcast, so I won't have the visual, but I'll, you know, if you interlock your fingers in front of you, that's a good way to kind of describe, um, what you'd see under a microscope with the material. There's all the, all these fibers going all these different directions, um, and with jadeite, it's actually more of like kind of a compact crystalline structure. So you have, it's more like little bits of sugar all like pressed together. Um, and they actually form somewhat similarly in the ground. And I am, I am by no means a, ge- a geologist. Um, you know, I, I've got a basic understanding, but to go too much into the technicalities, I, I won't, I won't venture there as I probably will get things wrong. Um, but it, it is a metamorphic material and, um, you know, so you've, you've kind of got your, your heat and pressure and, um, you know, there, there's a few indicator minerals that you're looking at with it. But um, essentially in describing those two types of, of jades, um, that leads me to saying like jade is found all over the world um, and in a lot of varied locations because we have this sort of dichotomy of two two different stones with under within the same um like name essentially so um we have in the united states there are a few locations um most notably wyoming and california um but there there are other locations um up through canada right now is probably the biggest supplier of nephrite jade in the world um up in british columbia um there's some really huge mines and they provide much of the Chinese market right now. Um, I, I want to say it's like 90 some percent of the world's jade, like commercial jade currently comes from Canada. So it's, it's a big operation there. Um, and that, that belt actually travels up into Alaska as well. So there's some, there's some jade found in Alaska. Um, you got Russia and China, Korea, um, and th- those are all like sources of nephrite, and there, there are more. Um, there are also jadeite sources. So prominently for me right now, that comes to my head is Guatemala. Um, they have been 
kind of a kind of like a little jade rush um at the moment the the Olmec the Mayan people used to use um this really beautiful blue jadeite in a lot of their carvings and it was you know revered as a treasure they um viewed it as kind of like a healing stone as well um and that treasure was actually lost um you know when when those people kind of you know died out or moved on or you know were assimilated into other cultures as they were you know colonized and stuff um the source for that jadeite was lost and now i think i think it was around the 1980s they um found it again in this river valley and were able to source it back up into the mountains and so within the last couple of years it's just been booming there um with jadeite um myanmar as well as a, is a source of jadeite and they have when when china began to run out of their nephrite sources um myanmar actually became their new source of jade which was a totally different stone um but it works in a very similar way and they sort of you know commercially now myanmar provides a huge amount of jade um to the chinese market um but yeah so it's 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 really varied all all of those locations um are one of the reasons that jade does have just like such a wide variety of colors and um compositions because you have all of these individual places where it's formed and they've all kind of taken on their their unique characteristics because of that um which is which is really fun you know as an artist working with the material it's 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 cool to look at a piece of stone and hold it in your hand and go like, Oh, this, this piece of Jade, you know, it's from Wyoming and it, it looks like this. And it's, you know, it's really similar to these other ones from around the area. Sure. 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 So the Jade that you work with, where, where do you find that? And do you travel to, or, or at least pre COVID <laughs> did you travel? Did you travel to find uh, your Jade? Yeah. Um, so I, as an artisan, but also a collector, I am looking for jade from all over the place. And my, my collection right now has m- almost all of the sources in the world, for the most part. There's definitely a few countries that I'm searching for, some of the harder ones, um, or the, with sources that are a bit smaller and just a little bit more rare. Um, so I, yeah, I work with jade from just about any country I can get my hands on, um, one of my favorite stones, I mean, if, you know, if I had to pick, God forbid, um, I, I really love the jade from Wyoming. Um, in my opinion, it is, it's some of the finest nephrite in the world. Um, just be- beautiful colors, really fine grained. It's, it's an excellent material to work with. Um, but um, yeah, so um, the traveling question, um, pre COVID. <laughs> right. Right. Um, I, I would often, um, so I, I love to travel, um, in general and I, I spent quite a few years just kind of bumping around, um, checking the world out, seeing and learning. And, um, so it gave me the travel bug, but, um, I also would occasionally pick a country cause I'm like, well, I know they've got Jade. <laughs> so, um, most notably my, my more recent travels, um, before things got shut down, um, was Indonesia and must've been like six or seven years ago now, um, in the very northernmost province of Sumatra, they found nephrite jade deposits. Um, they're pretty new, um, to my, to my knowledge. And I, I could be wrong about this, but I haven't found I haven't found anything indicating um, any like kind of like older use of jade in Sumatra. Um, but they, they, ex- they essentially found this jade and all of a sudden they had this, this really beautiful jade culture kind of blooming um, of, of new artisans and new, new dealers coming up online. Um, I, I think at first there was a lot of skepticism within the community, like, Oh, you know, sure. Yeah, sure. You've got jade. And um uh, but within the last few years, um, it's become not necessarily a prominent source, but a source of some really interesting and unique um, nephrite. So I actually went there in February. Um, I want to say it was two years ago now and reached out to a guy on Facebook. And I was like, hey, you know, I'm, I'm coming to visit, wondering if uh, 
if that would be okay, you know, and I, I was lucky enough to spend two weeks um, living with him and his family. And um, yeah, it's just essentially getting to see, see the Jade culture there. And, and, you know, I was also there to, to purchase material. Um, so, I mean, it's, it's just a, just a wonderful trip and um, meeting people who, I, you know, I, I didn't speak any Indonesian and they didn't speak any English, um, but we were passing our phones back and forth on Google Translate for two weeks, you know, sure. having these having these really in-depth conversations about about Jade and about being, you know, you know, having this this sort of connection of of both being artisans working in the same material. Um, and yes, yeah, well, so you know, I, I brought back. Oh, so you, well, I was going to say, so you actually you were um, uh, staying with another Jade Carver. Yeah. Yeah. Ah. Okay. It, so then, did you actually get to go to? I don't know. Did they, I don't know how they even extract jade. Do they mine it or? Um, yeah. So, I I have seen. I didn't actually get to go to the location. It is. It's really remote. Um, okay. The, the mountains. Um, the mountain is called Gunung Singamata, and. It, we we drove up a little ways. We rented a car one day, and I was like, "I, I want to go to the mountain." You know, I want to go. I want to see it. And um, for one, I, I think they were a little bit secretive about the location. Hmm. Didn't really necessarily want to let on, like, "Hey, world, here's where we're getting all this." Um, you know, as much as I was like, "Please take me." Um, so, <laughs> but we did get to go up into the mountains, and from what I was able to. Um, kind of ascertain from from what they told me um essentially it's really far um they usually drive motorbikes in and then end up hiking for a while um con- i've seen videos of them with you know concrete saws on their back and cut you know cutting chunks off of boulders that okay. the, the mining there is really low key it's very low budget so it's basically what yeah. they can carry carry down um yeah that, that's cool so then um um, but you got to be around and see all these, I would imagine how, how big are these raw pieces that you, there are. Um, yeah. So, so there were a few, there were a few big boulders that I, I really enjoyed just like kind of hanging out on. They, they actually had taken one that was, it was a p- beautiful piece of material and I actually brought a little bit back with me, but, um, it was this big round, um, boulder that had sat in a river. So it was very rounded on the outside and really smooth from the water. Um, and they had taken it and cut these big slabs and made coffee tables with them. And so my first my first day with with these folks, they sat down and they made me a cup of coffee and we sat and drank it off of this jade table and just you know all of, all of us just getting a kick out of it. Um, <laughs> wow, yeah, it's wild. It's wild. It's probably a hundred fifty pound slab of stone. It's just like <laughs> pretty mind blowing. But yeah. So when when you look at a piece of jade, how do you know what it's going to become? Mm. It's it really depends on the stone. Um, oftentimes, if I am if I have an idea in my head um, of a carving, I will often look for the jade first um, because that will almost always dictate how I design and how I shape the stone. So um, as an example, the other day, I, I had this idea to do an oak leaf and I've done one before and I was like, oh, I want to, you know, I want to do it again. I want to, want to kind of want to, um, you know, revamp that design and just see, see what, what else I can do with it. You know, it's, it's been a while. And so I, you know, I, I spent a good probably two hours just like digging through my bins looking for <laughs> looking for that perfect slab, you know, because I, I didn't really want to put anything onto paper before I had the stone to look at. Um, you know, and I, I did find this like be- real beautiful green stone and had some kind of like whitish inclusions in it that, you know, made it look a little snowy. And I was like, oh, that's really fitting for this time of year. So, you know, that that was the slab I ended up picking. But um, I, I do also design kind of based around what the stone will be able to handle. So not all jade is created equal. Um, especially with nephrite, you have, you know, all these little interlocking fibers can either be a blessing or a curse if they're 
if they're locked together well and what we would call really finely felted, so really a, t- a tight structure, um, that material can become just about anything you want it to. Whereas um, I have some pieces of jade that are just strikingly beautiful, um, gorgeous patterns and kind of rivers running through them. But a piece of jade like that, because you have a very like specific structure to the stone and it's moving in a certain way, you're going to have to work with that stone just like you would work with a piece of wood. You know, you'll have to work with the grain and make sure you're not cutting against it. Um, because otherwise you can take a piece of stone and have it crumble apart in your hands, you know? Um, so that's something that I'm still working on and, and learning to do is to, is to read, to read the stone properly. And I imagine that's a kind of a lifelong, a lifelong thing is, is getting to that point. But yeah, so we kind of have been, I guess, exploring indirectly what I would call your creative process, but can you can you go into that a little bit more about the whole your whole creative process of so so working with jade and and I would I would venture to say most stones has this really um interesting limiting factor of availability of tools and the materials you have available to shape it um the lapidary world in general um I found just has a a lack of tools, especially within the carving community. There's not, there's not too many of us, um, especially in the West. Um, there's a much deeper culture in China, but um, it's often this, this kind of funny balance between me creating and having, having this idea. And I'm like, I'm going to make, I'm going to make this and it's going to be like this. And then kind of having to come back and be like, well, my to- my tools are gonna are gonna be able to do this. So, you know, oftentimes I'll find myself kind of like with working within those limits and then kind of seeing what limits I can push then within like, okay, this drill bit is this shape. So I can create this sort of design with it. Um so not only am I working with with the stone to um to you know to read to read the jade and kind of often let it work me as much as I work it um, as far as like what form it is going to dictate. Um, But also working with those tools and just trying to basically overcome and kind of transcend the boundaries that working with these very like rigid tools kind of provides. Um, But I I do often, you know, I mean, I find myself thinking just like all the time, no matter what I'm doing, going, going throughout my day, kind of just like, you know, day, daydreaming designs and um, new forms, new shapes I want to explore. And um, I find, I find Jade to be really inspiring. Um, so I often, I mean, my, my apartment is just full of this stuff, but <laughs> <laughs> often, often sometimes to my detriment is I'm like trying to do something else, like pushing piles of stone around, you know? Um, but I do, I surround myself with it. And um, sometimes I'll be sitting up at night and, you know, kind of just hanging out and I'll, I'll find myself kind of just musing over a stone and, you know, just thinking about what it could become. Um, and sometimes that for me is the best way to, kind of let it let it flow and um you know kind of let that creative process happen so let's dig into the the roots of this creative process that you're 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 undertaking with the uh, being a jade carver so growing up when do you remember recognizing your connection with art that grew your roots of creativity I know you mentioned a little bit about the carving the bone, but was there, is there, is there something else that? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, but so both, both of my parents, um, I have to give them a lot of credit for just nurturing, nurturing my own creativity and kind of letting, letting me just flow with projects. Um, my mom, for example, um, and I've got a sister and, she she was a stay-at-home mom she you know she hung out with us you know more or less all the time and so she always had different projects that we were working on and 
you know, whether it was like gluing some pom-poms together or, um, you know, doing a project outside with some sticks, you know, she was, she was really great at just like having stuff for us to do and, and also allowing us the freedom to kind of do what we wanted with it. And <laughs> I mean, if it, my mom sometimes will send me funny pictures of par- projects that I created when I was a kid and they're, they're you know, not, none of them follow the directions ever. Um, they were always, you know, we'd, we'd laugh cause she's like, you know, you just, you just kind of did what you wanted. Um, but I know she still got boxes, you know, stuff we created that was, um, so, you know, that was really early on, you know, my whole life. Um, I've been really privileged to just have access to, to different materials to, to mess with. And my, my dad, um, is a really great woodworker and, has all kinds of tools and I, you know I, I remember being out in the wood shop with him when I was a kid and you know having just, having just a hammer and some nails to pound into a piece of wood you know and in a in a pattern or not you know and just just I think handling those tools sometimes as well was just like really really great as a kid to to be able to lead me into what I do now and just having that sort of familiarity with with just working with my hands have you have you taken art classes or or have you all self are you self taught um I've definitely taken art classes. I was very involved in high school, especially I took as many art credits as I could and then um through spash here in Stevens Point, they had um like a youth program where you could if you maxed out credits or didn't have classes available, you were able to go to the university and so i took a few took a few college classes um like art classes when I was in high school and just like really loved that um it's definitely kept me in school <laughs> a little bit um but then I I did a year of um university here in Stevens Point and went through their art program um but just didn't vibe with it um I I was already carving at that point and found myself sitting in my art classes, wishing that I was in my studio at home working, (laughs) working with my materials, um, (laughs) not to discredit, you know, I had some awesome professors, but, um, the lapidary and the, the like stone carving side of things, I am largely self-taught. Um, I've definitely had some influential artists and instructors in my life who have, um, you know, definitely helped pave the path, but, um, the more technical aspect of stone carving, I've largely, largely taught myself. Where do you think creativity comes from? Hmm. Oh man. Um, I find, so I would say, I, I source creativity within myself, both internally and externally. Um, you know, I th- sometimes I will sit down and just draw form and shapes and, you know, th- kind of just let my brain flow. Um, but I, I do think that... Um, a lot of that comes from what we're surrounded by and the things that we kind of like feed our brain as we go about our day. Um, so yeah, it's, that's an interesting question. I, you know, is it radio signals to my brain? No. <laughs> um, but honestly, I think, I think that it can come from a lot of places, which may sound like a bit of a cop-out answer, Um, (laughs) but I definitely, you know, I, I think as, as I've spoke to or answered some of your other questions about, um, kind of Jade and being inspired by the material, you know, I, I think, I think that can add to my creativity, like looking at the materials and going like, well, what, what can I do here? And I, I think that, um, I think that that can be, you know, something that pushes me in a certain direction. I also think that looking at, um, you know, for me, other cultures, art 
and um, you know, as as I spoke to as well before, being really inspired by um, Maori art and and their their just their aesthetic, which I find this beautiful flow in. Um, you know, for for a while, was hugely influential on my creativity and sort of what output I had. Um, I have since kind of moved away from that and tried to, you know, been sort of just tried to kind of just like flow and move in whatever direction I happen to be pulled in at the time. So how do you feel you have grown and changed and evolved since you picked up jade carving? (laughs) A lot. Um, (laughs) You know, it's, it's funny. I look back at some of my early work and, um, you know, it's, it's cool to see the progress. Um, I still consider myself a rather new carver. Um, I may feel that way until I'm too old to carve. <laughs> um, I have, so, you know, as, as I was actually just saying, um, you know, was initially drawn to it by the kind of Pacific Island designs um, and have watched that morph into kind of just this interesting amalgamation of different styles and um, designs that I pulled now from kind of all over the place. I... um, I do really like to dig into just shape and form as an abstract. Um, so lately, lately, for example, I've been making a lot of just beaded bracelets and they, they feel really simple sometimes. And yet um, the process of just making either a bunch of forms that are all the same and seeing what they look like together or creating a bracelet of beads that is where the beads are all different um, has really led me down some interesting avenues of kind of just more abstraction and looking at more just like shape and form. Whereas um, I have this other side of me um, that has sort of grown over time. That's really hyper detailed. And I love to, you know, when I'm, when I'm carving, I often like to really focus and dig into um like very specific parts of, you know, like that oak leaf I was working on, or I I did a beetle head a while back that like really fed this um, kind of like hyper-realistic, like detailed side of myself that likes to, that really likes to dig in. And I've definitely watched that kind of morph and change over time. Um, Yeah. I've, I've, I've seen on your social media, at least that's what you said yet. Uh, making beads is a, a newer thing for you. Um, one of your huge fans, uh, Jill from Sunstone Spirit, she she uh, I actually reached out to her uh, a few uh, to ask her. I said, "What should I ask Shane?" And and I I, I know that she loves she loves your beads. So I I, I think that's that's great. Um, that um, so you, can you can you share a little bit about some of the things that you make and some of the things that you have available um, and well and, and maybe you just want to let people know where you can where we can find your um, your carving yeah um, I've always always got a few things on hand although um, I was incredibly fortunate over the holidays and just you know had had a pretty great season. Um, but so, so my work right now um, focuses a lot on just like smaller jewelry pieces. So um, bracelets, pendants, earrings, um, that is kind of largely my body of work at the moment. Although um, I, I have a few ideas floating around in my head to work on some more um, kind of tools and sort of like massage tools and stuff. Um, so that'll be, that'll be up, up and coming. Watch, you can watch my Instagram for that. Um, which is probably the best place to find me at the moment is my Instagram at freshwater Jade. Um, I do have an Etsy also under the same name, 
freshwater jade, um, which as soon as it's warm enough for me to take pictures outside, I will be <laughs> eventually uploading um, some more items. It's been it's been a bit of a lull as I've been kind of more in the creation phase than the than the selling phase of things lately. Mm-hmm. Um, well, it's a good it's a good time of year to I guess go inward and and create. There's all that you know activity around the holidays with people needing gifts and stuff. And now is the time to replenish and re-energize and and create the new for this that can spring forth. <laughs> right. This is absolutely that time of year where I I sort of hunker down and get into this sort of like hibernation mode of like I'm just gonna make stuff. And it's really great because you know, in, in the summertime, I just, I love to be outside and I'm, I'm active and I'm running around and I'm growing some plants and, um, you know, processing and preserving food. And, you know, sometimes that maker time, you know, between art shows and all that other stuff just sort of lapses a little bit. And, you know, as you said, this time of year is, it's great for just kind of digging in and um, kind of coming back to that, like, releasing releasing this idea that i have to be super productive and just coming back to this kind of like coming back to the roots of like well i just really love to create and i and I, then i get to you know i get to sit down and drop some designs that have been bouncing around in my head all of august that i couldn't touch at the time and um spend some time tinkering around with things that are just just for the sake of tinkering, you know, and that's, that's actually when I find, you know, coming back to that creativity thing, that time and this time right now of like just sitting and playing around is when I have developed the most. Um, so yeah, I definitely appreciate this time of year for that, for that aspect. Um, yeah, it's a great, great, great time to incubate, a new creativity and and just um, reflect and nurture, you know, um, the seeds of potential. So let's, I'm going to just go back a little bit to this general idea of, of traveling. How have your travels shifted how you see the world? Mm, that's a great question. Um, so... I, I initially, I mean, I've, I've always loved to travel around and my, my folks when I was growing up just, you know, took me camping and traveling and, you know, all all over the U S. Um, and right, right after I finished my first year of college, I, I, I just, I knew I didn't want to go back. Um, and at the same time, I didn't want to quit learning. Um, I love to learn and I, you know, I love to, I love to explore and, and, and just, just think about things. Um, but, uh, college just wasn't going to do that for me. Um, so my alternative to that, to that kind of like self-education was to travel. And so I spent, I spent quite a few years, um, kind of just bumping around. I've spent a lot of time in Asia, um, a little bit of, a little bit of time in Europe and just, um, absolutely influenced how I view my work. Um, and especially being a Jade Carver, um, has led me to connect with people around the world on a much deeper level than I think I probably would have been able to, if I had gone into situations, um, I guess without that aspect of my life. Um, I, will wake up to messages from a guy in Russia, you know, a geologist that I work with occasionally who I've, you know, I bought stone from, but sometimes we just sit and chat and talk about Jade. And, you know, it's this like shared love and interest in this material that like kind of can help transcend, um, you know, beyond the fact that I'm living here in Stevens Point, Wisconsin. And, you know, he's, He's living in, I think, St. Petersburg. Um, and, you know, I can, we can still have this really in-depth conversation um, 
all the way across the world, which I think is just the most beautiful thing. Um, and, you know, and it's, it's the same, the same with visiting, visiting those folks in Indonesia and, you know, not even being able to speak the same language and yet spending two weeks just having the greatest time laughing and sharing knowledge and, um, bonding over this, this shared interest and, um, and craft that we both do. What kind of things do you find in common with people no matter where you go? I mean, I think our general humanity, um, over all things, you know, you can be just about anywhere in the world and you don't even need to speak the same language, but you can sit down and have, have a coffee or have a tea or, or just sit and share some time and space with just about anybody. And I think when you can slow down and kind of open yourself up to just allowing a moment to kind of just be whatever it happens to be, you can really connect with just about anybody. Um, you know, I, this, I remember kind of having this learning experience with my, my buddy Diego, who I traveled with for quite a while. And I think we were in Vietnam and he's, he's about 10 years older than I am. And we were moving around, um, traveling through this city and we had it, we had a specific destination in mind. I think we were like going to a beach or, or something, you know, we had, we had a place we were headed and these two gentlemen were sitting down having a coffee and they kind of waved us over and they wanted to have a coffee with us. And, um, they were, you know, offering their drinks to us and they just really wanted us to sit down. And I was kind of hesitant at first and, you know, I was like, Oh, but we're going here, you know, we're, we're doing this thing. And my, my buddy kind of looked at me. He's like, I don't, he's like, why, man? He's like, just, let's just go have a coffee with them, you know? And, and it was kind of this moment in my head where I was like, oh yeah, I, let's go do that. And, um, I, I think about that a lot actually, and have really kind of tried to, tried to take that in, um, you know, into myself to, to just be able to, to sit and appreciate those moments where people do just want to connect with you because they want to connect with you. And, um, and to just sit sit down, and even if you can't share the same language, you know, to just sit there and share that like moment in in space. What keeps you coming back home to Central Wisconsin? I really love I really love this area. I think I think traveling around has also made me as as much as it's made me appreciate the the world and and you know kind of different places and cultures and people all over the place. Um, it's really made me appreciate this area as well. Um, and coming back to Stevens Point, you know, after a long time on the road or, you know, wherever I happen to be, um, has always just felt like coming home. And I, the, the people and the community that already exist and are coming into existence in Stevens Point, I, I just really love it and being being part of it is something that um you know for the time being I'm really interested in in participating in um you know I think that um you know for me especially having all of the the food and you know I, I know that you've interviewed um quite a lot of farmers and people doing you know working with small food businesses already and like that that is absolutely one of the major pulls for me to staying in this area. Um, so I, I just really love that. Um, you know, having, having access to that, that really wholesome, good organic food is something that's really important to me. Yeah. There's a, a great little farm community, uh, organic farmers, the, uh, food maker community in, in the region and that I, I definitely really appreciate. And I, I think I met you, I don't know if it was at a farm market or one of the art events, one of the things that I'm uh, doing with this Common Roots Rising project and, and Imaginal Roots is kind of exploring this um, art and, and expression of 
our our human potential and 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 creativity and and I've I've over the years I've been able to be involved and worked on on different projects and initiatives to build a more connected community for quite a while I was we were I was part of a project called Sustainable Boulder where we were trying to bring in this whole new level of sustainable living it to um, Boulder, Colorado um, back in 2007. Um, now that I live in central Wisconsin, I've been, I, I decided over this last year of some of the challenges with the way that we feel such division around <laughs> community um, that I needed to get a little more involved and, and take a little bigger step to help connect some of these ideas and, and, and initiatives. And, and I know we were talking before we started recording. Um, I'm, I'm really finding that there's a synchronicity of of I'm talking to some I'm talking to somebody about a, that's making food, and then all of a sudden that person everybody knows each other in that community, and and that's great. And I also want to be able to say, okay, well. Like, let's like celebrate that and make more of that. You know, let's let's have like more farmers and artists and creatives really uh, helping to build a a, a really thriving. Uh, and and it's not about money; it's about like spirit and connection. I mean, yes, you need money to live, and you need and we need that abundance, but also we need this sense of um, a place where instead of you wanting to get away from. Say once you get out of high school, that maybe you would feel good about coming back to and staying, and and, and it's definitely an issue that uh, with uh, rural regeneration that I'm looking at with with my friend uh, Rachel Barressa too, um, as a person who grew up uh, on her family farm and went to Madison and moved back and wanted to bring some of the culture uh, along with her that she was experiencing in Madison. So, so on that note. Or in that vein, what continues to stoke your passion and inspiration towards greater service in the world? So, um, well, r- rather directly related to what you were just speaking to, um, I was actually having a conversation with this um, about this this morning. Was just so setting up um, my my booth with my you know with my jade carvings at the winter's farmers market here in stevens point but just like the the kind of like beautiful intersectionality of um the the food movement and art within stevens point and you know being at the winter's market um i was there all of december um and i loved having my booth set up between um i was next to roots chocolates um and then joan arnold um and I just think it is the most wonderful thing to be set up at a market like that, where you have local farmers and makers and everybody's in the same space and we're all kind of appreciating each other's art. Um, you know, whether or not you're growing these, you know, beautiful vegetables or creating chocolates or, you know, making some stone carvings. Um, I think like seeing the support within the community for all of that sort of stuff is really inspiring. Um, I, I definitely feel just like a great amount of support, um, from within the, not just the Stevens point community, but Amherst and Wapaka and, um, you know, kind of like the, um, support for the arts within the, within the area is, is strong. And I think it's growing. And I, I think especially through, um, you know, through the, <laughs> the whole <laughs> pandemic this last year, um, you know, I know, I know a lot of artists struggled, um, but I think a lot of us also saw like a great amount of outreach from people within the community who wanted to support us and keep us going and make sure that that didn't get lost in the larger kind of, um, struggle to just like, you know, figure out what all of us were doing at the time. Um, so that felt, um, you know, definitely, definitely was uplifting and inspiring to have that support. I, I I really I really appreciate that our local farmers market can also be a place for um, opportunities for for local makers too, um, and and creating environments. One of the things that I really would like to help do is 
create more environments for local makers and local cre- creators and local creativity and and really everyone's creative to some sense but you don't necessarily realize that it took me till i was well, i was much older than you before i said oh i'm a creative person maybe i don't make art but i'm like i'm i'm a very creative expressive curious thinker and I, if, I, I feel like it's so important that our communities nurture a culture of creative self-awareness and self-expression within, well, everyone, but certainly our young people, to be able to follow their dreams and their passions and, and, and explore without having to feel like they have to give up their life for something that maybe doesn't mean as much just to make some money. So, so um, just to, to go down that vein a little bit with, with this too, so what imaginative possibilities are you dreaming into being for yourself and, and for the community? I think that one of, one of the reasons I create what I do and especially making jewelry. Um, I, I, I love beauty and I love just the concept of people being able to make themselves feel beautiful and in whatever, whatever frame that looks like, you know, not to, not to put, um, you know, I, I think we can interpret that however we want, but you know, I know that I personally started creating jewelry because I wanted to make some for myself <laughs> and um, have always really loved the the aspect of adornment and um, the idea of like looking into the mirror and being like, wow, I feel really beautiful right now. Like, I, f- I feel like I look good. Um, and so that's something that um, definitely like keeps me creating, um, you know, when I when I sell a pair of earrings to someone and they you know, they put them on and they're just like so excited and happy. Um, and, you know, I'll, I'll them see them the next week and they're still wearing them. I mean, that just feels so good. So I think, you know, to, to be able to keep doing that and like bringing this like sense of people feeling beautiful to the community, I think just is really a wonderful thing. Um, I have, I also um, have this kind of like grand dream and this is, this is later once, you know, maybe I can kind of get myself up and running here a little bit more um, is to be able to teach lapidary arts um, to kids who, you know, like I, I have been incredibly privileged to have the opportunity to have, you know, the, the access to tools and then, um, you know, the access to money to get more tools to, to be able to do what I do, because it does take a lot. Um, and I think it would be a really wonderful thing to teach, to be able to teach lapidary arts to people who wanted to learn. Um, there's something um, about working with stone that I think feels really ancient, both in just the fact that it is a very ancient art and that it takes a lot of time. And I it often forces me to slow down and to kind of take a step back and take a breath and be like, this isn't going to happen in a day. You know, this, this project like might not be done for two months and that's, that's okay. And I think to be able to share that and spread that um, idea that like not everything happens quickly, um, I think is something that I would on the, on the grander scheme of things would would like to be able to kind of share with the community and people around who are interested well, in learning. Beautiful. I, I look forward to that future. I, I could, I could see makerspaces. I, I could just imagine it's like the old shop go downtown turned, turned into um, a humongous makerspace indoor local market um, or something like that and then having all these different kinds of events and classes and workshops and and opportunities to um, you know spark and nurture creativity from to you know to make and create all kinds of things you know so it does it wherever that happens so um, so as we're as we're kind of starting to wrap up here 
Is there anything else that you'd like to share with us about yourself and freshwater jade? I think I think for me and something that I have um as much as I like try and shy away from social media, I do find it very useful um as sort of a process of just showing how I work and what I do. Um you know, I I think some sometimes um I'll have someone come up to my booth and pick up a carving and go, "Well, you know, kind of think that it like maybe this stone was like this already. Um, and maybe not quite understand the process that goes into what I do. Um, you know, when, when you see a finished bracelet of beads, it can look, it can look like it was very simple. And, um, the reality is, is that I'm taking these stones, um, in the rough as a boulder, um, and taking that from, something that the earth has shaped and created, which I view as sort of this earth art, you know, I mean, gemstones in particular, I think are just this beautiful thing that comes from the earth. Um, and is, you know, Jade especially is just really gorgeous in its natural form. And then I am taking these materials and cutting them down and shaping and grinding and, you know, taking to that kind of finished polish and, my hands touch every part of that process. Um, and so I think it's, um, it's something that I like to try and get across. It's just like how, how involved I am with this. And when you're putting on that pair of earrings or that, that bracelet or that pendant, like I have, I have braided that cord and shaped that wire and, you know, put, put like a little piece of my soul into that. And so, you know, having, having someone appreciate, a work of art that I've done is I think the highest compliment I have ever received. And I feel incredibly fortunate to be, to be able to get that a lot. And, um, you know, that, that support is just really a beautiful thing. And for people to, to appreciate what I love and do so much, cause this is freshwater Jade is, is me and is very much, um, my kind of dream and passion is of pursuing, um, jade carving as in a way, kind of a, a way of life. Um, so I, I am just incredibly appreciative of everybody who has shown me love and support for, for what I do. Be- beautiful. And, and your work is really beautiful. That's why I wanted to talk with you about it. And of course we're in a, um, an audio medium and you can't see the work, but I can share that I'm I'm going to have Shane um, give us some some pictures to go with this because on 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 our website at commonrootsrising.org, you'll be able to see um, some of some of this as well. But also, can you tell us more again? Where can we find your work? Where is online? Yeah, so um, I am most active on Instagram um, at Freshwater Jade. Um, I'm sharing stories as I'm, as I'm working. So if, if you are interested, I know I was talking a little bit about my process, but if you do want to see visual and videos of that, um, you can, you can see some shaky videos of my pruny wet fingers holding a, <laughs> a carving I've been working on all day. Um, and I, I do post finished projects and, and updates of kind of art shows and where I'm going to be, um, over that medium. I do have a Facebook also under the name Freshwater Jade. I don't update it, but I will respond to your messages if you write to me. Um, I also have um, some work at Agora Makers Market in Stevens Point. And that's downtown Stevens Point. Yep. Yep. Uh, got some stuff there. And then, um, yeah, if you, know, if you do connect with my Instagram um, it looks like we're going to be having some art shows again this year. I think uh, um, a lot of the show, well, all of the art shows that got canceled last year, it looks like they'll be running. And you also have some stuff on Etsy, so you can check that out too. Post so. the actual place where I sell stuff. And we'll share links to that on, our, on the website. We look forward to watching your progress. So thank you very much, Shane, for joining us on Imaginal Roots. Yeah, thanks. This was a blast. 